Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, I just had the uh, the yurt site of my father this year, so that's the the anniversary of his uh, his uh, passing from this world, being nifter, and um, you know, uh, I, I just want to say a few things about that and uh, just talk about my dad a bit and and some of the things that he taught me um, and. Also, just let's just begin uh, maybe just about um, the Torah view of death itself. We, we don't really, in, in sort of Jewish circles, we don't really say the word death so much. We use the word nifter. Uh, niftar means to leave. And this is, uh, this is a very big distinction. By the way, um, well, just, just to zero in on this, death suggests um, something is over. And what is so imperative in terms of our really understanding our own lives in this world and our being able to best prepare for our futures, it's that uh, it's never over. Um, it's never over even after uh, we leave our bodies. And this is this is a very essential. This is a very essential point. Um, you know, just just if you can just think conceptually for a moment. Um, if you compare anything that's finite to anything that's infinite, something that's infinite is so overwhelming that it doesn't even matter how big the finite aspect is. Compared to the infinite aspect, it becomes like nothing, just in terms of comparison. So even if a person, God willing, we should all live long, full lives, even if we live to 120, compared to eternity, it's the snap of a finger. So if that's the case, then the question is, like, really, how can I really make sure that my eternal life is, is the greatest life possible, you know? Um, let's approach this subject from a slightly different angle. One of the things that I've, I've just noticed or I, I, I sense is that sometimes if you want to talk about uh, Hashem or God with people, especially people who sort of don't have, uh, you know, as involved a background in it or might be more skeptical or, or secular or whatever, whatever word you want to use, um, if, if you try to uh, engage them in a conversation about God, it might be very, very counterproductive because the word itself has so many connotations for so many people that it's just, it's too charged a subject. And then it just, it's, it's, it's too heavy. So, um, but if you were to ask someone, and again, if this conversation arises naturally, anytime you put someone on the defensive, you've already lost the... <laughs> it, the, the, the conversation becomes pointless even before you start because yeah. uh, any conversation like this has to be had between two people with open hearts. Amazing. So just to say that as a as a as a foundation. But but anyway, if you if you if you if you if, if it comes up naturally and you ask the person, do you do you think that you have a soul? See, that's a very different question. Then the person most likely, I think, will say, Yeah, I have a soul. You haven't even mentioned anything about God. Do you have a soul? I have a soul. And, and I think people sort of understand that, that they have a soul. And you say, well, what do, what do you think the nature of your soul is? What do you think? Do you think your soul lives on after you, after your body? And what happens to it and everything like that? So, so that's, that's a way to approach the subject of eternity with people, um, to get people on that subject. So, so now... Then, for most people, at that point, if you ask them, well, yeah, I, I think I have a soul, and I, I do think that, you know, if you just think of it in terms of physics and things like that, um, 
that the soul as a mass of energy, energy continues. You know, energy isn't just displaced. Energy doesn't just disappear. So, so even uh, physicists have sort of embraced this idea of even, even reincarnation and things like that because of the idea that the energy doesn't go away. It exists as energy, right? So, so, so but for most people... At that point that they just imagine that, okay, so I've got this energy which is animating my flesh and then it sort of like transcends my body after a certain period of time. And then what happens to it? At that point, people don't know. But then at that point, it's very instructive to share the Jewish understanding because we say we do know. And we have a very definite idea of all the things that happens at that point. And so it's very instructive because it makes a lot of sense, our, our understanding of what happens at this point. Very important to share this with people, because it will give them a very expansive view of what they're doing with their time in this world, and, and, and how the world itself is constructed. You see, Rabbi Ari Kaplan gives a beautiful um, sort of example in terms of understanding it. You see... Just like your computer on your desk or your laptop or whatever it is, or even your phone, is a piece of hardware, meaning to say you can touch your computer screen or, you know, your, you know, whatever it is, your keyboard. But the information inside of it can be taken out. You can put it on a flash drive or something like this, or you can just send it, send it away. So that's sort of like the software. That's the information inside the hardware. So your soul itself is it's it's very analogous it's very connected in other words even though the hardware itself may go away right the the information that's imprinted on your soul remains and so the soul in other words you remain you even after you leave your body this is the point see a lot of people think that after the soul leaves the body if they just understand it as energy or even if they want to get hyper-spiritual about it, they imagine that it sort of disappears within the oneness of God. Like it just kind of goes away. It just kind of dissolves in the great oneness or whatever it is. The, the Jewish view is actually very, very different. It's actually, I want to say it's very American. <laughs> Oddly, that's a very strange adjective to, to use. But if you actually study what it, what, especially in the 1800s in literature, Walt Whitman, the, all, all those guys, Emerson, it's really about the power of the individual, you know? Like America is really about the individual, and even to this day. And so this idea that one remains an individual after death, even amidst this radically, you know, exponentially greater revelation of godliness, that you maintain your individuality amidst that, is actually a very compelling and not obvious thought whatsoever. And so just the idea that that you, your, your personality is intact, your, your deeds and your accomplishments are intact, you know who you are still, this is, this is, um, this is big news, and this, this is big news to a lot of people. Now, this actually, interestingly, you know, I want to make a connection, and I'm, I'm, I'm sorry if this sounds a little academic, but, but I just want to make it anyway. Um, I was a government major at Harvard, and that, they, that was the name of the political science department over there. 
Um, they called it government because they, they have to be fancy, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, but it was political science. So one of the things that we studied was something, a book called The Federalist Papers. And that was sort of like the, kind of the early writings of uh, imaginings like how the American government was going to be constructed. And there's a famous document, Federalist Paper Number 10, which basically talks about how are we going to balance competing interests? You know, so that um, different branches are actually going to um, be good to one another, if you will. You know, because, you know, okay, uh, Washington DC today is, is very um, deadlocked and it's, there's all sorts of dysfunction there. But basically, each of the branches of government, the, the presidency and Congress and the Supreme Court, they're all more or less working with each other and they're not trying to undermine each other. In other words, like for instance, in Egypt, you just had the military just kicked out and arrested the president, right? 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 El-Sisi just came in and even though Morsi was democratically elected, okay, let's leave aside whether this is a good thing or a bad thing that they did it, they just marched in and the military just said, no, bye, Thailand. right? So, <laughs> say, yeah, oh, it happens all the time. You know, the military is constantly just like walking in and kicking out whoever the president is, whether they're uh, elected or not. And, and, and many times the president is just a puppet of the military to begin with, you know? So, yeah. so, so the, the genius, if you will, of, of, of American democracy, of American government, was trying to construct something where... Um, everyone was working together and being nice to each other and respecting each other. Now, how do you get that? Because it really goes against human nature. Because each branch wants to take over the other branches. Each branch wants to be the sole source of power. So how do you get something where everyone's playing nicely with each other? So that's what the, this Federalist Paper number 10 is talking about, okay? And what they came up with was something very interesting. And you'll see how this is relating back to the body and the soul in a moment. They put it in each branch's self-interest to be good to the others. In other words, it's going to work better for you if you work well with the other people. And that was the... And how they did it, okay, you have to... I, I can't go into that level of detail. You, you have to study it if you want to know more information on this. But bless you. But the idea was that they actually made someone's greed and selfishness an asset where it was in their interest to actually be good to the other branch. Okay? So now, what am I... How does this connect to what we've been talking about? The, the idea is like this. That, um, again... Even, God willing, we should live long, full lives. We should all live to 120 in health and happiness and everything. We should get everything that we want. Okay. But that is a, just a snap of a finger compared to eternity. Right? And if I remain me, if you remain you for eternity, what I want is to make sure that my eternity is fantastic. <laughs> so all of a sudden, and here's the critical step, it becomes in my self-interest to make sure that I've got the best eternity. Now, how do I guard for my own interest to make sure that I've got the best eternity? Well, I've got to be nice to everyone else. <laughs> yeah, it's now all of a sudden, it's, not, it's now in my vested interest 
if you want to use like very charged words like selfishness and greed and and you know you know acquisitiveness you know all the capitalistic sort of terms and things like that all of a sudden right now it's completely in my self interest to be as good and do as many mitzvahs as possible because i am the beneficiary forever forever and ever and ever amen amen you, you see so it's actually an amazing system god is so fantastic you know and and we say like see now it's important to understand this because if you you see as people become sort of more spiritually refined and everything like that then all of a sudden you you want to be like it says in perke avos you want to be someone who isn't doing something for a reward mm-hmm. right you want to be beyond that right that's like a higher level you want to be like you know something i'm just doing it cuz 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 god wants me to do it i i tell you a beautiful story that illustrates this um the um it basically it says that it, when you're saying the shmona esrei that's the amida that's the silent prayer that's the sort of the kind of the 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 the, the highlight of the of our davening three times a day the first paragraph one of the sages in the gomora said that if you um if he was praying on behalf of someone like someone who was sick and he was really praying for him that one of the signs to him whether or not his prayer would be like received favorably on high was that if he could get through the first paragraph that ends uh, in the Shmona Esrei that ends Magen Avraham if you were able to get if he was able to get through that without um stumbling over any words meaning to say that if it just flowed then he knew that there was like something very positive happening in terms of the way his prayer was being received on high right and if he like stuttered on a word or something like this then you know then it was uh it was not great okay by the way just you should know just as long as we're learning about this the the first three blessings of the shmona esrei are basically just praising god we're not making any requests and even when we meant, even when we say mashiv haruach or murid hata or mashiv hagesha murid hata um getting all mixed up anyway whatever it is that, that that mention of rain is not actually a prayer for rain okay a lot of people think that's the prayer for rain you know um but it's not it's just mentioning that god is the one who brings rain the actual prayer for rain is in barakh alina which comes later um so mashivarokh or murid hageshim that's how we say it okay who makes the wind blow and who makes the rain descend that's just a mention that that it's uh god himself who has this has this awesome power okay So in other words we're not making any requests in the first three blessings of Shimona Esrei but nonetheless this uh this sage uh felt that if it was flowing in the beginning he knew that his eventual request for the healing of this person would be positively received okay so now i just want to connect that um to uh, a story about the Balshemtov So the Balshemtov um was uh was was told at a certain point he heard a heavenly voice that because of a certain event that uh uh it's a it's a long story but basically he had maybe embarrassed a, an an orphan or something like this but it's a whole long complicated thing 
but that he that he had lost his share in the world to come. And he actually, when he heard this, he like laughed and got really happy. So you can imagine, like, wait a second, you lose your share in the world to come. That's that's your that's a, your your eternity. And who's God? I mean, among the people's shares in the world to come, the Baal Shem Tov's got to be like you know way up there, you know. So so how can he sort of like just laugh and just not really care seemingly to to hear such news? And he said, because now I can continue to serve God without even any thought of a reward. Right? Isn't that that unbelievable that you just like, you're so beyond, you're so beyond that it's sort of like, yeah, I'm just doing it because I love God because I want to serve God. Like the idea that it's sort of like, okay, so I've got no reward. Now I'm going to serve God even more because I know that all my avodah is going to be even pure. Right? This is like amazing. Okay, so... So, so sometimes if I'm davening Shmona Esrei, there, there, there was a period where, you know, even till today, if, if I trip over the initial words, I remember that Gemara and I go, oh no, I guess it's my, this is like not a great sign that the rest of the Shmona Esrei, the rest of this prayer is going to be favorably received. And then I think to myself, but wait a second, you know, then I think of the story of the Baal Shem Tov and I say, oh, so then I get to praise God with even any thought of any sort of reward. So this is even better. So, you know, it's like... Uh, but these are these are sort of like later levels. These are more these are more elevated levels. And a lot of times we skip steps in terms of just sort of educating ourselves about sort of like the ABCs of, of existence. And the ABCs of existence say that you have to be acutely aware of the fact that you're going to receive tremendous reward forever for all of this stuff. Amen. Now that you know it. Don't make that the primary aspect of your service, but you have to know that that's, that's what's coming. You know, because it says very clearly in Pirkei Avos and in another place, know that your employer is good for the cash, basically. And they're talking about God, that, that God will is, is watching and documenting and is going to pay you for everything. Amen. You know, so that's in the next world, for the most part. There's certain mitzvahs where we get it in this world, but for the most part, it's in the next world. But you should know that God is very reliable, you know? He's a very good accountant, so you don't have to worry. And he doesn't have any cash flow problems, you know? He makes the money, you know what I mean? So you don't don't have to worry about God, you know, like whether, oh, you know, I'm a little tight right now, you know, that's not God, you know? So anyway, so so moving forward, let's just review and, and just kind of get these basic points down, which is the, the, the basic idea being that, uh, that we live forever. That we live forever, and that it's actually in our self-interest to be good because we are the primary beneficiaries forever of these acts. So this is, this is, this is, this is very central. And this is why we use the term nifter as opposed to dead. Nifter, again, it's talking about someone who's deceased, but nifter just means to leave as opposed to die. Because if you use terms like die or dead or things like that, then you're thinking that, wow, this really is it. My life in my body really is basically the whole sum total of my existence, right? And then the other stuff, it's sort of abstract, who knows, everything like that. No, we know. We know, we know, you know? So, and, and, um, okay, now, now I want to, uh, 
I said I'd mention my dad, so let me mention my dad, but then I want to get into um, how we can use this type of information in terms of um, really helping ourselves be happy, okay? Because we, we want to always make these thoughts uh, practical. So just, I want to say um, in, in uh, my dad, Leiben Tzvi HaLevi, his neshama should have an aliyah, um, that... Uh, you know, he was really, he was really uh, an awesome, wonderful person. I just want to say one thing over uh, about him that, that, that he really made a special point to, to, to teach me. Um, and, uh, and it was a big lesson for him, too. And that's why I think he wanted to share it so much. And he heard it from his aunt, or maybe it was his grandmother. I, I didn't have the privilege of meeting her. But he would say to me, he would say, listen, I want you to know something. If you try something and it and it doesn't work, right? You didn't fail. It just didn't work. Just didn't work out. It's a very essential teaching to get through life, you know. And as I learned more in Torah, I learned that that's a very strong Torah concept because we don't control the results of our actions. We control. The effort, though, that we're responsible for. Now, in a way, that gets us off the hook. Because it means that if it doesn't work out, we didn't fail. It just didn't work out. On the other hand, it actually puts more responsibility in our hands because it means that you really have to try. You can't get around, right? And, and God is the one who's like, you know, really kind of looking into our hearts saying, did they try? Did they try? You know? And I'll tell you, you know, and I'm, believe me, I'm speaking to myself. Let's say you're trying to do some business or whatever it is. If you make one phone call, right, and then you just didn't get through or the guy didn't return your call, that might not be the, you know, like, I think if you call the person, that might mean two or three phone calls. I mean, that might be the entry-level position, not one phone call, you know, especially in today's day and age when everyone is so maxed out and busy. You know, sometimes the person didn't get the message, or they mean to call, but they just got too busy, or they just wanted to call and they forgot. You know, we're, we're, we're very sensitive and vulnerable people, so sometimes we, our, our skin is very thin, and if we get just the, the, the um, appearance of rejection, we run under the bed. <laughs> you know, it's just sort of like, just, just hide, you know. I, I, I've certainly fallen into that category many times in my life, you know. And it's sort of like we can't, we, we can't afford to, to do that. And one of the things I've noticed that some people do, and it's very helpful for me, because sometimes I'll get emails, and I'll mean to answer them, and then I'll get distracted, and I never end up answering them. There's, uh, this has happened to me for a few different people. They've sent them, and in the subject heading, they write, resending. And then they say, did you get this? You know? And, um, and then I almost, 100% of the time, try to write back right away. You know, like, oh, yeah, 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 oh, yeah, I totally forgot about that. You know, it slipped between the cracks, you know? So, so that's like, that would be the email equivalent of, of calling a second time or something like this, you know? Um... So that's just a, a helpful thing. Now, now I want to I want to talk about this um, this 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 happiness link, and um, and uh, you know just maybe tell you just one more quick story about my dad. 
which is at the at the very end of his life, I think maybe he was maybe two days away from being nifter, right, from leaving. So he was all dressed and everything like that, and he was sitting in this, you know, kind of big comfortable chair, and he was on the phone, and he, he, he was completely slumped over, like almost like the phone weighed like a hundred pounds, you know. That's how weak he was, even though he was dressed, he just was completely slumped over. And I was sitting there, and I was watching him, and I was like, and he was a practicing psychologist for 50 years. I knew it was a patient on the line, and I knew that the patient had no idea of his physical condition at this point. Otherwise, they would not be putting him through this, you know? And I was just getting very disturbed watching this because, you know, it was hard to look at my dad in this shape. And then also just being a little angry at the, the person who was calling Again, they didn't, were doing it on purpose, but not being aware of the fact that he was in this condition. And then at a certain point, my dad all of a sudden sat straight up and with a loud voice said, okay, here's the thing. They can't talk to you that way. And you, this is what you should say to them. This, that, and the other thing. And he went like right into like, and it was like basically, he was just kind of listening, waiting for them to finish their thought. And then he went into his advice and it filled him with life and energy and everything like that. And I mentioned this to someone the other day and they said, you know, just it was beautiful that he was able to do what he loved doing till more or less till the end, helping people and everything like that. So again, we should all be blessed with that strength to really to be able to have the strength to do what we want to do till till the end. Amen. You know, because, you know, that's that's a big blessing. That's a big blessing. You see a lot of people like they just get parked in a bed for years sometimes. And it's it's that that. You know, it's it's a special blessing to, to be able to go out in terms of full strength. You know, they say about Moshe Rabbeinu that, that at, till 120, till his last day, till his last moment, he was completely full of strength. And and the Midrashim say that on the last day of his life, he wrote 13 Sefer Torahs. Amen. Can you imagine? And that he went and he, he, he leaped to the top of a mountain. I mean, these are midrashim, but but nonetheless, they're 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 making a point, you know. In terms of these type of um, teachings, you have to understand, like, what, what the inner dynamics of them are. What what point is really being made? And um, along those lines, this, this story is is important in terms of when you hear midrashim like that, like how to how to absorb them. And I heard this from Rabbi Beryl Wine. It's a it's a famous story about the um, about the Chofetz Chaim. The Chovetz Chaim, who, as you all know, is one of the great tzaddikim of the last century, of probably all time. But um, uh, in Russia, there was the, the the Soviet, you know, kangaroo courts, you know, which were, you know, not any real systems of justice, but they were just kind of going through the motions. And they had falsely accused this Jew of doing who knows what. And so the Jew, and you know, it was pretty much a hopeless situation, but... They, he was, a, I guess, a student or, or someone who the, the uh, Chovetz Chaim knew, so they called the Chovetz Chaim to appear in this Soviet kangaroo court to, to be a character witness on behalf of this person who was being falsely accused. And so the, the, the lawyer for this person who was being falsely accused wanted the judge to appreciate who the Chovetz Chaim was and, and, and what it meant that he was in court testifying on behalf of this person. Right, and so they, the, the 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 attorney introduced the Chovetz Chaim, and 
told about his, his greatness and, and how un, his unbelievable holiness and just like how like just like just he was like a perfected human being. And the prosecuting attorney said, those are all lies, right? About that everything that was said on behalf of the Chofetz Chaim, all those things were lies, they're not true. And the Chofetz Chaim said back to the prosecuting attorney, I agree that they're lies, but do they say those things about you? <laughs> right? So, so, so what, what Rabbi Wein was, the point that he made about this story, which is very strong, is that certain legends grow up about people. Maybe they're true, maybe they're not. It, it almost doesn't matter. The point is that they're saying them at all. The very fact that they're saying them at all means that there was an aspect of tremendous greatness, unbelievable greatness to the person, which triggered and inspired these type of stories. And again, it doesn't mean that they're not true. They could be also true. But it's almost beside the point whether they're true or not. The point is is that the person was on a stature that was beyond. Okay? So... So anyway, so now I want to get like a little more practical and, and zero in. So, so where did my where did my dad get that strength? Well, that it was a blessing. It was a, it was a blessing from God. But but how can we we get that strength? So I told you one of the things that that allowed him to keep going was knowing that that the main thing in life was just to be able to to try. You know. It's like, you know, every once in a while you make a l'chaim, so over Shabbos I made a l'chaim, and these words just kind of tumbled out of my mouth. I didn't even think about them, but it just came out. I said, I said, my little shot of vodka, I raised it up, I said, you know, God has a plan, it's the Torah. The world has a plan, it's Mashiach. And human beings have a plan, and it's called trying. Trying our hardest, you know? And, and, and that's, that's what it is. So, so one of the things that can undermine trying and can undermine our happiness. See, there, there, I want to focus in on two competing forces in life, okay? And there are a lot of competing forces in life, you know? But I want to zero in on two that really butt up against each other and can really undermine our happiness and our peace of mind, okay? And before I say that, I just want to just tell you something, just a brief story which is someone came up to me uh, a number of years ago, a very serious, very, you know, religious, quote-unquote, guy. He, he is a genuine guy, but, you know, very religious, you know. And he looked at me and he said, I see your life going in one of two directions. And I said, really, just one of two? <laughs> I, said, I said to him back, I said, I, I see that as a failure in imagination. <laughs> so, so anyway, you know, I, I have a theory, which is that in life, if you, like, every once in a while you try to, something happens to you or whatever it is, and you try to figure out, why did I do that? Or why did that happen? And you go, was it this thing or was it that thing, right? And I believe that if you, can, if you can narrow it down to two things, it's already both of them. Just a question in what proportion, you know? But, but life is very complicated, and we're subject to the influence of a lot of different forces bouncing off of us, okay? So there are a lot of forces, but I just want to just zero in on, on two for now, okay? That, that compete against each other and, again, challenge our happiness. 
And, and one of them is just being happy and having peace of mind, right? Which is not a small thing. That's a very great thing. And by the way, just because in, in honor of my dad, I, I, I'll just tell you one little golden piece of advice that, that he gave that I love, just because it's just so utterly practical, which is if you're putting money in a parking meter, put an extra quarter in. <laughs> because think about it, think about it. How many of us have been in a store and we've stayed a little bit longer and there's this incredible stress, like a level of crisis that we could have avoided with 25 cents. Wouldn't it be worth 25 cents to avoid that existential crisis of about to get a ticket, right? Like really think about it. Or the upset of having gotten a ticket, you know? Like, and you go, and it can ruin a person's day and everything like that, and you know, crazy stuff. And you can avoid it for, so in other words, if you can actually purchase peace of mind for 25 cents, that's one of the better deals going, right? So, so that's just one little thing for my dad, you know, but as I like to say, these are the little things that are the big things. But anyway, the other thing, what is the thing that's kind of undermining our peace of mind, right? So to zero in on one thing, and that is uncertainty. Uncertainty is a very, very, very powerful negative force in our life. And uncertainty can take so many different planes. You know, how am I going to pay the rent? How am I going to pay tuition? Who am I going to marry, for goodness sakes? You know, like, what am I going to do with my life? When am I going to, what job should I get? When am I going to get a job? What, what should I, ah. <laughs> right? I mean, it's endless, the amount of uncertainty, and it can actually plague a person. It can actually plague a person and truly undermine our happiness in the most, in the most like a torpedo heading right for a ship, right? So how do we deal with uncertainty? How do we deal with it? Okay. So... So I was thinking about this because I was dealing with uncertainty and I was, you know, it's like I, I remember reading about um, uh, certain cookbooks. They say about these cookbooks that um, all of these recipes are kitchen tested, right? We don't just like come up with ingredients and write them down and say, oh, that sounds good. You make this in your home and serve it to your guests. We, we make it and we taste it. So whenever I talk to you about these things, and I talk to you about things like this on a regular basis, these are all kitchen tested on me. So I want you to know that these are all things that I've worked on on myself and I found that have at least worked for me and that's why I'm sharing them. You know what I mean? I'm not just talking right now, okay? So anyway, so how do we deal with uncertainty? And so, so what, I'd, what I would like to suggest is the following, is, 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 is that, um, is the idea of delinking it from our happiness. You see, what, what a lot of people do, and, and no one does this on purpose, I think this is just sort of like the natural momentum of human emotions, is that we make a certain mathematical formula in our mind, which is, I can be happy. You know, we talk about, did you ever hear this expression, like when you finally hear the news and it's, oh good, ah, now I can exhale, right? Did you ever hear that? We, we go like, that my ability to exhale is contingent upon knowing, knowing the result. Now, what if we delinked that 
And we said, what if I can just exhale without knowing? Like, why should I make my happiness, which is so imperative to my being a productive, successful person in life, in all areas of my life, why should I make my happiness contingent on whether I know for sure about this particular area of my life? Right? So to delink it, just delink it. And that was like a bit of a revelation for me because I realized I don't have to make my happiness contingent on that. Right? On knowing that one way or another. And that is a very empowering thought. Um, so, so now I'll tell you something about my dad again because it will connect back to this thought. My dad was uh, left this world because of skin cancer. And, um, and uh, as the uh, disease progressed, he, he had his, uh, uh, part of his leg amputated from below his knee. And it, and, and, uh, and it didn't stop him. He, after he got that amputation, he, he, um, he traveled all around the world. Wow. He, never, he never stopped moving and was, was amazing. And, um, but, but that's not the point. The, the, I'm just telling you that what he was about to say before even that happened shows you that he really meant what, these words that I'm about to tell you. After he got his prognosis about the, the cancer, he said to me, he said, well, he said, I'm going to look at it um, like an adventure. <laughs> he used the word adventure, like he's going on an adventure. And that is, that's extraordinary. I mean, here he's being put face to face with the ultimate uncertainty, right? I'm using that word very deliberately, the ultimate uncertainty. And yet he said he, he, he leveraged it and he used it as sort of like, I don't know. You know something? The fact that I don't know, I'm still going to be happy. And the fact that I don't know is going to turn this next chapter in my life into an adventure. This is an amazing thing. This is an amazing thing. And this is, this is something that we can do in our lives. That, like, not like, so you say, you know, what, there are a, a number we just celebrated, if that's the right word, um, um, the, the 20th Yurtzeit of the Labavacharevi. Just mark the 20th uh, anniversary. And just uh, three or four books have just come out, biographies, um, a whole crop of books have come out. And one of the, I, I bought one of them, um, but I, I haven't started reading it yet, but I, I just was kind of reading some reviews about it. And, and one of the amazing lines in it, which was, you know, he basically didn't sleep at all. I mean, he just, what he did was just beyond, like almost, almost superhuman. Maybe it was superhuman. I, I don't know, but it was beyond. And um, someone came up to him and said to him, you know, said, I'm so tired, right? They're saying to the Rebbe, right? Like, can, imagine what this person's doing compared to what the Rebbe was doing. And this person said to the Rebbe, I'm so tired. And the Rebbe said, I'm also tired. So what? You hear that? I'm also tired. So what? Like that. Like, it was like, whoa. You know, because there are certain things where we experience an emotion 
and we allow ourselves, like we have this little side deal with ourselves that, oh, you know what, if I have that emotion, then I shut down. Like we agree, you know? Like even the Yetzir Tov is agreeing, you know, we shut down. Yeah, that's our side agreement, you know. So, you know, if you look at our Articles of Confederation, you'll see, you know, after 11 o'clock, I don't do anything, you know. But, um, but it's sort of like, he was like calling into question, like some of the basic things that we allow to, uh, allow to ourselves to shut ourselves down over. And was just saying, so what to it? Which was like, such a slap in the face, in a positive way, to negativity. You know what I mean? So, so, so the idea is a lot of times we get to this place of uncertainty and we allow uncertainty to completely shut us down, right? And so we have the ability to go, okay, I don't know, so what? <laughs> and it's like, wow, are you in control at that point? Yeah. You are completely in control at that point. And that's, that's a very beautiful thing, you know? So, so I want to make one more point in terms of this. Because all of this is the ability to do this is, 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 is predicated on something even more basic. Which is the knowledge of how phenomenal and how miraculous you are. You see, now... Just the way we're constructed, you know, we, we're born with this attitude, which is, what have you done for me lately? And it's really toxic, and it's really horrible, but we all have it. We all have it. We're all, and then it's just a question of, to what extent do we work to uproot it? But we're all given a, a big helping of that, you know? And we certainly have it toward God. Because Hashem didn't have to make the world. See, this is, this is the thought that, I mean, we really have to go back to really appreciate what it means to exist at all. We think God had to make the world, he had to make me, he has to do this, he has to do that. And then, oh, now I gotta thank him. Because he had to do it. Right? Like, you know, like I got conscripted into this, like, you know, menial job when really I'm like, you know, what am I, I'm really like a Hawaiian surfing champion and God is making me, you know, be an actuarian, you know? You know, so it's sort of like, you know, we have got such a warped view of who we are and who God is and what's going on exactly, you know? It's sort of like God did not have to make the world at all and he certainly didn't have to make any one of us. He didn't have to make any one of us or the world. And the fact that we even exist at all is like radical. It's radical. And we can't, we, we can't lose sight of that. We can't lose sight of that. And it's like, okay, God, so you made the world, you made me, what have you done for me lately? It doesn't work. It's not menschlich. It's not kavodik. It's not. It's. It doesn't smell right. It's just. It's bad. That that initial level of wonderment and thanks has to be our 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 default setting, if you will. It has to be our our permanent kind of like outlook, right? 
this gets into this idea that the Ramban says, that anyone who says that every single moment isn't a miracle doesn't have any portion in the Torah of Moshe. Can you imagine that you know you can't even call yourself like someone who has any share in the Torah or the or, or, or Moshe Rabbeinu if you don't understand that every single moment is a miracle. This is a very strong words, and this is not coming from some New Age philosopher from you know Berkeley or something like that. This is coming from the Ramban, you know? This is like this is very ancient, you know, sacred sacred stuff right now. You know, in holy Jewish. You can't get more Jewish than the Ramban, you know? So, so to focus in a little bit more on just the, 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 the miraculousness of us, I, I was thinking about this over Shabbos and just want, to, just want to share with you just one piece of imagery. Now, can you imagine what it is like, like Michelangelo made the David? Now, I don't know if you've ever seen the David, but it's, it's massive. It's like... It's not like a just a simple statue. It's like it. It's, you know, I don't know. Maybe I don't know how tall it is, but it's you know ten, twenty feet tall, something like this. It's it's really big. Can you imagine like, right, like, to be like a masterpiece by Michelangelo? What if Michael? How would you think of yourself if you were a masterpiece made by Michelangelo? Like, wow, that would be pretty interesting. But it's even better than that. You're actually a masterpiece made by God who made Michelangelo. <laughs> You're a ma- you literally are a masterpiece created by God because if God is perfect, and that's the basic premise of God is that he's perfect, and he made you, that means that his Work is perfect. Now, of course, we have this extra amazing dimension that we'll, we won't get too off track on this, is that God asks us to complete ourselves in his image. And so it's sort of like if you imagine yourself the Mona Lisa now, but you have to finish painting yourself. Right? You have to just put in a few extra lines. And just like, don't mess up. Stay within the lines. You know what I mean? Or if you want to go Picasso, get outside the lines. Like, really get outside the lines. You know what I mean? Like, in a beautiful way, you know? So, um, but anyway. So, so, this idea of not losing sight of your own miraculousness, of the miraculousness of the world, this, this allows you to stay in this place where your happiness and your sort of like positive attitude exists independent of any notions of certainty, of really any notions of anything. Because at that point, it's sort of like, just like the gates are open, existence is fluid, and you're just connecting with God. Okay, have a great week. Thank you. So in terms of understanding like our, our life in the next world, it says that if you take all of the pleasures of your lifetime and you add them all together, that one moment in the next world completely blows away all of the pleasures of the lifetime of the pleasures in this world. Now, if you think about this just in terms of the metaphysics of this, you know there's certain parts of the body, like say the tip of your tongue, for instance, or your lips or something like that, or your fingertips that are very, very sensitive right? Like, you know, they just, they're sensitive, you know, much more so than, say, the heel of your foot, which is probably much less sensitive, you know? 
So now imagine, if you want to talk about levels of sensitivity, what would be more sensitive than your soul, right? Like, can you imagine if you, like, have you ever heard someone say this? He touched my soul, <laughs> right? Like, that's considered, like, the, the ultimate, like, moving experience, right? Now, imagine, now, just, I'm just talking about in terms of materiality and physicality. Imagine, again, in terms of levels of sensitivity, if you were to take your soul out, right? Now, this is more than just taking your clothes off. This is taking your soul out, right? You take your soul out, and you were able to immerse it in the light of God. Amen. Right? I mean, like, the level of, like, sensory bombardment and, and pleasure, mm. like, sheer pleasure, would be astronomical. Mm. And that's what we're talking about. And basically, every time you do, basically, sensitivity in the body is, is measured by numbers of nerve endings. Like, the more nerve endings there are in a particular place, the more sensitive that area of the body is. Now, basically what's happening is, if you want to just continue with this metaphor, every time you do a mitzvah, you become more spiritually refined, and basically you're adding more nerve endings to your soul. That's basically what's going on. So that when it then gets plugged into the light of God, there are more receptors to get completely, like, blissed out from. You know? So that's, that's, kind, of, that, that's kind of what's going on. All right. What's your question? So, after, after, I mean, that was unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the question was, after the soul leaves the body... Bye-bye, Dave. Bye-bye, Julie. Thanks for coming. Uh, you mentioned uh, that the soul has certain properties, certain characteristics. Right. Can the, does the soul still smell after it leaves the body? Does it still, does it still hear? Can my soul listen to right. music that I love now right. after, I mean, I hope. Okay. The music that I love is more than me. You know? Right. So I want my soul to yeah. listen to that music forever. You know. So uh, they talk about you know um, music in in the celestial spheres. Mm-hmm. They, they talk about that. So yeah. So there is some concept of music up there. Okay. You know, and they're like they talk about the world of song. They say that the world of song is actually the palace of song. The, uh, uh, I believe that the term is the Heichel Niguna, which is, means the palace of music, basically, mm. is, is right next to the palace of, of return, of tshuva. Mm. And then, and then the, mo, mo, and the, the, mo, the Mojitzer Rebbe, who is one of the great uh, music composers and a big influence on Rabbi Shlomo Karlbach, um, in fact, one of, the, one of the melodies that is very central to uh, Rabbi Shlomo Hasidim is uh, the Havdalah Nigun. So this is a Moshe Tzernigan. That's a Moshe Tzernigan. So, um, so anyway, the Moshe Tzernigan says the following. He says that, the, that it's not that the Heichel Niguna, that the, that, the, that the palace of music is right next to the palace of Tshuva, of return. He says it is the palace of return, which is, that's, that's an awesome teaching. And I know that a lot of times when I'm listening to music, I'm, I, even if it's like pop music, you know, I'll tell you a trick if you want to just find new ways to serve God. You're listening to a pop song that you like, right? Just when they, when they go, oh, and I love her so much, right? Or whatever version of it, just, just plug in God, you know, just make the song about God and you can turn pop songs into, 
amazingly deep religious experiences, oh, you know? Um, and, and so, and by the way, that's how pop songs, in, in just my, my brother is a, a phenomenal scholar in terms of um, uh, rhythm and blues and things like that, and uh, he knows everything about soul music. He's, he's been, there's, I think he has 40 anthologies out that he's produced uh, through Sony Classics um, in terms of uh, wow. anthologies of, of the great uh, R&B masters and, you know. Anyway, um, he'll tell you that, uh, that pop music started off as church music and they changed God to she or he. You know what I mean? And that all of the initial great, amazing soul singers like Aretha Franklin, Sam Cooke, I mean, all of them basically. I mean, basically 100% of them started off as church, church singers and then just secularized the lyrics. So it just tells you that like the, the, the root of that actually is coming from, it's not like you're altering it. You're just like, you're just changing it back to what it was to begin with. You know, it's like, it reminds me of that story. Um, from Rip Shlomo, you know, Rip Shlomo would go to ashrams and like different religious places to 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 get back Jews, and he would because a lot of the people in those places were Jewish, but they, you know, they had kind of wandered into other religions, and so he was playing at this ashram, and um, and the Swami all of a sudden got like very suspicious and protective. And he turned to Rip Shlomo and he said, I know what you're doing. You're trying to steal my followers. <laughs> and Rip Shlomo said, no, I just want to borrow them back. <laughs> you hear? Wow. In other words, they're Jews. And you don't, once you're a Jew, you're a Jew forever, even if you convert. So, so Rip Shlomo was just borrowing them back, so to speak. So, you know, you can borrow the melodies back by, you know, plugging them back into their original source. But the idea is, yeah, there's music up there. And, um, and we're also learning Torah up there. And I'll tell you some other things, which is that basically you, you, there's, there's a story, it's, it's, it's told as a joke, but, it, but I'm telling it to you um, just because of the teaching in it, is that someone goes up to the next world and he sees, wow, there are all these people in this exalted place. And he says, you know, you know, what do those guys have? And he said, they said, well, all those people gave like tremendous amounts of tzedakah, of charity. And so the guy goes, oh, great. So this is in heaven. It's, it's a joke. But he, he takes out his checkbook and they say, you know, because he wants to be in that place. And they say, no, 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 here we only take receipts. In other words, you have to already have done it. You see, because the idea is in the next world, basically you just go to the place that you earned from your deeds in this world. It's not like you get up there and then, oh, you, now I'll start doing. Now that I see what it's all about, now I'm going to kick in and start doing. You see, we have that concept in this world also. It says when Mashiach comes, the Jewish people are not going to accept converts anymore. Now we accept converts. If someone is sincere and they really want to attach themselves to, to what we say, Torah temet, to the Torah of truth, if they want to do that, we welcome them. But once Mashiach comes, it's sort of like, you look, nah, yeah, you know what? Everyone wants to root for the Yankees when they, when they win the World Series, but the trick is to root for the Yankees before they win the World Series. You know what I mean? So it's like, Why? so. Why? Because a lot of this world is about free choice. And once Mashiach comes, there's not going to be any free choice anymore. Basically, there's not going to be any questions. 
See, it's like another teaching that we say, which is, I heard from a, a friend who just touched me so much with this. He says, when we go to the next world, all of our questions are going to be answered, but we're not going to be able to do anything about it. Now, we have questions that aren't answered, but we can do something about it. That's the point. This is called, Kabbalistically speaking, Olam Asiyah, which means the world of action. This is about action, taking steps, voting with your feet, not just sitting on a chair and wondering, you know, your whole life. You know, you've got to like reach your best conclusion, think about it, and then do something about it. That's, that's what this world is. So in terms of the life of the soul in the next world, I can also tell you something from the Gomorrah, which is a bit of a scary teaching. You know, this is a bit of an uncomfortable teaching, but because it doesn't sound so spiritual, but nonetheless, it is spiritual because it's taking place in heaven, right? And it's from the Gomorrah, so. Which is that you can see your neighbor's reward in the next world. And you see what someone else actually accomplished. And you also see where you are relative to where they are. So that's, that's, that's a bit tough. That's a bit tough. Yeah, that's right. That's right. There, 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 is, there are places in heaven. And, and you can kind of see what you got. And by the way, what you got is going to be delicious and fantastic no matter what because it says everyone has a share in the world to come, right? But nonetheless, there's a bit of a cautionary PS that you're going to see how you did. Yeah, go ahead. In that sense, is there a judgment? Yeah. So what happens is, the order is, is that, see, sort of like the, um, the, um, the cosmic map, if you will, um, is that Earth is below, then above Earth we have what we call Gehenna, which is translated as hell. It's, it's different from the secular understanding of hell, but it's, 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 it's hell is above earth, okay? That's, that's, and that's in the Gomorrah, it's at the end of Masech to Tamid, if you want to see it. It says, it says Gehenim is above the Rekia. Um, and then above that is, is, is heaven, Shemayim. And what happens is, is that every soul that passes through this world has to pass through Gehenim has to pass through hell on the way to heaven. And what happens is that that it Sadiqim, righteous people, just zip through, and people who didn't get their act together spend longer there. There's a limited time, it's not eternal. There's a limited time, but I think my sense is, is that time goes more slowly there. <laughs> but nonetheless, that's just my, my, my intuition. But nonetheless, it's it's a it's not an eternal open-ended thing. And it, we, we say that the righteous of all the nations have a share in the world to come as well. There are other religions. This is something that I think a, a person can be extraordinarily proud of in terms of Judaism, is that we say God created all people. God created the entire world. Of course there's reward for all nations of the world. Other nations will tell you, unless you believe in our guy, you're going to burn forever. That to me is a, a, it's a disgusting thought. And it's, it's, it's also... The- theologically and aesthetically disgusting. I'm just in terms of, in terms of the aesthetics of it. You know what I mean? Just in terms of like how you would look at a painting and and judge the 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 level of artistic merit of it. Any theology, any any religious philosophy that says that unless you believe in our guy, even if you had a lifetime of good deeds, you're going to burn for eternity, is nonsensical to me. I mean, it's worse than nonsensical. But anyway, so so the idea is that 
that as uh, our, our, our rabbis teach that what is that Gehenna experience, right? What is that hell experience? That they show you two movies. One is the life that you led, and one is the life that you could have led. The choices that you could have made. And that disparity is very painful. Very, very, very painful. And, um, but then a person goes to Shemayim afterwards. And there is a heavenly court, and it even says in Gomorrah Shabbos, if you want to look it up, the questions that were going to be asked in the heavenly court. Um, you know, one of the questions is, did you make a set time for Torah study? Mm. Having a set time, even, you know, you can start off once a week or whatever it is, really a person should get to the point where they're learning every single day, even if it's just a tiny moment. You know, I've got um, books that are collections of, like, Hasidic teachings. They're three lines long, and there are times when I'm so busy, but I'll pull out one of those books, and I'll, you know... Like in, in uh, I, I learned regarding astronomy one time, there are certain stars that are called dwarf stars, right? Mm. They're so dense that a teaspoon of this star mm. weighs like a billion pounds, <laughs> right? <laughs> so these Hasidic teachings, they might be two lines, but they're like dwarf stars. They're like teaspoons of dwarf stars. And the thing is, is that even if you have no time, you can read one of those things, concentrate on it a little bit, and you'll, believe me, you're, you, you will get something. You will get something significant from that. You know, so there's really, I don't want to say there's no excuse, there, there are endless excuses, but there are opportunities to learn on a regular basis that really are, you know, really are like hit and run learning sessions, but that are meaningful, you know, and then hopefully a person takes more time, but, but that would be like the basic level, you know. Um, I'm trying to think if there are any other general teachings about the soul in the next world. Um, it also says that the tzaddikim, it says in the Gemara that the tzaddikim in the next world can actually do more in this world than when they were alive in this world. And so that's an amazing thing that, that souls from the next world somehow are able to influence events in this world. And the, um, the way to conceptualize this is that um, it says again uh, in a different place in the Gemara that... Um, how, how do you imagine the world of souls, where the souls are? And one of the pieces of imagery they give is that if you take stacked cups, so imagine I've got like, um, you know those clear plastic cups? So imagine you are, you take one, you put another one in, then you put another one in, and you, you kind of stack them up, right? So that cup, this is what the Gomorrah says, that the next world and this world, that the souls are as close like two stacked cups. So just imagine in your mind what, is, what two clear stacked cups look like, one inside the other, right? So if you touch the outside of the cup, you can't touch the inside of the cup, right? So it's like we can't really interact so much, but it's right there. And that those souls are like very close. They're like basically inserted into this world. And they are existing in this world, but it's another dimension. We don't actually have access to them. Now, the greatest people, our greatest tzaddikim, are able to cross over those lines, you know, and that, that, that's amazing stuff that's going on. But, but nonetheless, this idea of the closeness of the next world to this world is, 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 what, what, I'm try, is what they're trying to convey. And, th and from there, you can begin to perhaps get a glimpse of perhaps what it might mean that the tzaddikim in the next world can do even more in this world than they could when they're alive, because now they're on a soul level. You know what I mean? They're not limited by a body. So 
they're, they're different things. I'm sorry? How do we connect with that? Like? How do we connect with that? Well, I'll tell you, one of the things that I do in my, in my family is that, um, you know, if there is a, a tzaddik who is, um, you know, someone who I, I know about or who I've heard teachings from or perhaps I've learned their, their, some of their svarim or something like this, um, I always call my children together and my family together and we light a yurtzeit candle in our house. We light a candle for the tzaddik on his, on his, on his yurtzeit. And so what's nice about this is that, like, we just did it for the Lubavitcher Rebbe the other night. We say his name and we say a prayer. We don't pray to the Rebbe because you pray to God, but you pray in, on behalf of the merit of the Rebbe, you know, that the, that the merit of the Rebbe should be a, 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 you know, a blessing for us. But what, what, what this does in a very nice way is it keeps you connected with the tzaddikim in a beautiful way and that, that there continued relevance in your day-to-day life, right? So this is a way of living with the tzaddikim, is, is, is marking the earth sites in a, in a way that's meaningful. Mm-hmm. And how long does it take? You know, how long do we stand by the candle? I, I think if we spend a minute there, it's a long time. We basically just light the candle, say the person's name, say something, and then we're back in. So this is not a big time expense, you know what I mean? But it's a very meaningful thing, you know? Yeah. I have a good question. How would you please compare and contrast what you just said about the soul to him, but concerning what it is that you said? You said there are a lot of other sects, religions out there. They say, oh, if you don't do what we say, you have no place in the world to come. You're going to hell. But then you also said the Jews, oh, we, we do action. We, we, do, we do this and that. We do this and that. That's why we say everybody can go to heaven or this and that. So my question is this, these are all different aspects of the soul. So I want to know, what's the difference? What's the, how, how would you compare and contrast the different effects based on the actions and the words and the, and the many different right. things in between that right. causes them to be right. in the world to come, in right. this world, how this affects I that hear, world, I how so that affects... Let me, let me, yeah, let me respond. Let me respond. So, so just, again, just on, on, a, on a very basic level, on a very basic level, their concept is that hell is eternal and the person is completely boxed down. Ours is that it's temporary. That in itself is an enormous, 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 enormous difference, okay? Theirs is, unless you join us, you have, even in the best case scenario, no share in the next world. Ours is, if you have, you know, a, a, a life filled with dignity and kindness and everything like that, even if you didn't sign on to our, you know, you know, the Teferis Yisrael says this for sure, um, our basic premises, nonetheless, the, the, the soul will ascend and participate in, in, in all of this greatness in, in the next world. So that's, that's one major difference. One commonality, though, and this gets deeper, is the idea that we say that there is an actual truth to existence, and we have it, and they say they have the truth to existence, and we say they don't have it. Okay? So, in other words, one of the points that, if you've been coming to these talks, if you've listened to these talks, a point that I try to stress over and over again, is that the world itself, the universe itself, has a a very detailed structure 
it's not amorphous. The, 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 the galaxies don't just kind of float around and now, you know, the Andromeda strain is going to go to the 7-Eleven because it's got the munchies, right? And it doesn't like care that it's going to trigger like a domino effect that's going to implode the entire universe, you know? Like everything is like really super structured from the galaxies to the percentage of air in the world, remember? Because if, if it wasn't enough oxygen, we'd all suffocate. The entire world would suffocate in a moment. Down to DNA, X and Y chromosomes. If it was like a little bit off, we'd look like mutants, right? Then down to the subatomic level, there is exquisite structure to the universe. And that goes on a spiritual level as well. You understand? There is a concept of truth. People are afraid to use that term because usually the next thing that happens is someone picks up a gun and says, if you don't believe in our truth, then they shoot the next person, okay? We're not those people. We're the people who say there is a truth and you do your best with this concept. Do your best with this concept. The Jewish people have been amazing. Like, there used to be slavery everywhere, incest everywhere, child sacrifice everywhere. And the Jewish people just basically were doing their thing and saying, hey, look, this is how we're doing it. This is actually the truth. And you guys, like, you know, like, just you, you'll get the picture. And sure enough, for the most part, okay, there are examples of all these things still in the world because we're still on the road to redemption. But for the most part, incest is, is not like a, a thing, like a, just a normal thing anymore, right? Or at least it's considered a bad thing by almost everyone if it exists at all. Slavery, again, okay, there are elements of it, but it's basically as a system of accepted governance is, is, is basically over. Child sacrifice. It, people aren't throwing babies in the fire to get a good bumper crop of grain anymore. You know, these are radical transformations you know, and the, the concept of one God as opposed to many gods. Okay, again, we're talking about Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah kind of just doing their thing. And billions of people now are basically going, okay, they're going to articulate it differently. But they're like, oh, yeah, there's not like a God inside this plant or a God that I bow down to or a God in the mountain that I bow down to. You know, a good chunk of the world understands the oneness of God. And I heard that even Hindus, who are like, you know, like they've got gods for everything, you know, that, that apparently even Hindu scholars, I was told, although I don't think this is true for the common Hindu necessarily, but that the Hindu scholars would tell you that all these are manifestations of one God. Yeah, amazing. So, so even, even the most idol-worshipy religion, <laughs> you know, has this concept of monotheism at its root. Now, whether that's known among the populace is another question. But, but nonetheless, you see the pervasiveness of, of what the Jews have been doing and how, how much the world has been transformed. Okay, So, so we say that there actually is a truth. And, and that truth is wonderfully inclusive. And you can join us if you want. right? But if you don't want to join us, we're not going to shoot you. We're not going to shoot you. We're not, okay? Other people say it's, it's wonderfully inclusive 
as long as you join us, unless we're going to shoot you. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so there's a very big difference in terms of the way we approach it. You know, but but what I would what I would challenge you to challenge yourself with is, is there in fact a truth? Yes. And if there is a truth, then then to what extent am I am I really taking it on in my life? Because it's really who doesn't want to attach themselves to the truth? Yes. All right. So can I ask no, 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 no. It's okay. That's enough of an answer. Go ahead. Right. Is so that that, that that is very true, but there's but there's another step to that, which is that our actions are of critical importance. Now, now, interesting. Grammatically speaking, God is a verb, which means that if a person really wants to be, you know, partners with God, basically, that 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 they have to get it on the verb level. And verb means action. Verb means taking it out of our heart and actually putting it through our hands and our feet and our speech. Now that's that's a very that's a very big step in a person's life. You know, just taking it. See, the sages say that the ideal person is someone whose insides match their outsides. So so that's like the big great leap forward. And, you know, as someone myself who didn't grow up, you know, keeping Shabbos or any of these things, you know, these are very big steps and a person has to, you know, take tiny steps to, to, to get to that place if they want to get to that place, right? But, but, um, but those are very important things in terms of the, the, the Jewish vision of life and a person that their outside should match their inside. So that if a person just sort of like meant well but didn't do well, it's true it was good in their heart and, and that counts for something, but it's kind of, it's, 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 it's not the whole sandwich. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, you guys, thanks so much.